you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as we consider verse 13 this morning. I want to welcome every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church on what is today, it's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. We are just one week, and as Matt already reminded us, to go slow and to contemplate the events that took place in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew records this, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Listen to this. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You do realize that as we sing Hosanna, as we sing hallelujah, as we live in such a way uh, that people will ask us, as we worship the one true living God, they will ask us, who, who is this one? Who is this one that we worship? May that be our focus, particularly as we dive into this text and we look at how we are to live in the world that God has called us to live faithfully. And would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into this. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can call, we can cry out, Hosanna. You are the only one, the one who saves. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you for the opportunity you've given to us to be here together as, as called out ones to listen to the preaching of your word, to allow your spirit to, to move amongst us and speak to hearts. Father, I pray, Lord, that this would be a moment that we do not quickly forget, that we would examine our hearts, that we would respond in full and complete obedience to what you have for us this morning. Father, we do pray for every single person right now that is gathered here, that you would minister to hearts, encourage them, strengthen them, comfort those who need to be comforted. Father, we love you. We're amazed at your patience with us, at your unconditional love. Now, please help me as I try to speak clearly for your glory. We ask this in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Again, it's a very short text we have before us as we're kind of Pumping the brakes on Romans chapter 12, it says this in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We've talked about the fact that there's 13 quick kind of imperatives, commands in five verses. We do all of these things with an overarching theme of love. We are to do this in love. We seek to glorify God and edify one another. We talked last week that what, although it, 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 looks, it looks a little shaky out there, we know that we can rejoice in hope. I remember what Jesus is going to do. He said, I promise you, I'm going to prepare a place. I will be coming again. 
And we hold tight to that. To be patient in tribulation. Don't be shocked by troubles. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done. He has suffered, died. And as we look at next week, he rises again. We looked at the fact that we are to be constant in prayer. I trust this past week that you have been faithful in prayer. Remember what Jesus is doing. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding on our behalf. Now, now there's two more. There's two more bits and pieces of instruction that we will quickly see are of utmost priority. And it's hard to emphasize like this is important, but this is really important. I don't know how to say this. This is really, really important. It's a priority for us is how we live as faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with this idea of what? Of giving, of offering to others, but also what? It's the opposite. It's the receiving and the inviting in of others. We are to show others the same love that Jesus Christ has shown us. You realize that's, that's perhaps our greatest testimony to those outside when they look in here and they see, man, these people care for one another. They look out for, they help, they come alongside we know that what? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Everyone will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. They will ask, who is this one that you're always speaking about? That you love others as he has loved us. Now last week I described, and I understand, I, I didn't want to belabor things, but it's it's tough out there. We know that it is very pervasive in our society, in our culture, that individualism, expressive individualism reigns. It's all about me. What do I want? What do I get? How can I be happy? And that's a dark, difficult place to live. We know that wars and rumors of wars continue to exist there is identity and gender confusion all over the place. I, I commend to you the evening of Secret Church to learn about who uh, am I. I would encourage you to listen to Platt because I don't know if I'm going to be preaching a message anytime soon on the metaverse. So you might want to really grab hold of that one right there. We know that what? The economy looking around us, like we've been filling up our gas tank, it's like, it's a little unstable. It's kind of shaky out there. We know that abuse and anger and anxiety abound. The world is on fire. Now the neat thing, the neat thing about celebrating the resurrection, it means what? Death to life. The neat thing, although the world is on fire out there, that does not mean that it stays dark, but rather God has called us to be light. That we are to hold on to the fact that just because, what, it's difficult or dark, that is no reason, that is no excuse for us to point fingers or throw rocks at others who perhaps are even pouring gasoline on the fire and contributing to the chaos of living against the living God. Remember this, this is why scripture all of Scripture is important. You can't just take out one little piece and bit here. We work all of it together. So now, in light of what it looks like out there and how crazy it is, 
This is what we do in response to it. These points of Scripture that reveal what our love and our care and our concern by opening up our hearts, but also, and this is where it begins to really drive home, we open up our home. To others. Why? Because we are to show others the same love that God has shown us. You realize that we can be really annoying and really unlovable. And God still sees us and knows us and cares for us. And he still receives us into his own presence. God shows grace and mercy to us when we have not shown grace and mercy to others. God offers us forgiveness When we actually deserve what? His very worst. We deserve his wrath. Two quick points I want to give to you this morning. The first one is this. We are to open our hearts to generosity. To generosity so we can meet the needs of one another. Okay, this is is what it looks like as a local church, as a faithful body of believers. To contribute. The word in Greek is koinio. It means to give, to grant, to supply in common. I I think you can pretty quickly and easily notice that when it talks about you contribute, there's this idea, it implies it's a group effort. You're contributing to something. It's, It's the idea of many are contributing, many are giving, not just one. I think it's interesting that that word, what, contribute, is very closely related to the word that we use for fellowship. Kuyaniya. Which has this idea of being together. This, this points to the example that we oftentimes lift up from Acts chapter 2 of how the church is supposed to function. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had, there's that word, need. Now we can step back, and I love, I love, I get like a front row seat to hearing how the Lord uses his children to help supply the needs of other children. That the church takes care of the church. I love to see that, and, and I love to hear what, there's, there's something we have to pray about. We don't know how we're going to solve this problem, this huge void. We hear answers to prayer, testimonies of love all the time, and care and concern for one another. I love to hear surprises of provision. One of the nasty, cold gross windstorms that we've had over the past month or so I had a giant tree fall in my backyard and just took other trees out and just an absolute mess back there and and for several weeks now I've kind of looked at it and just kind of like yeah I don't know what to do and I'm thinking like I could I could rent, I could rent a chainsaw, but then I, you know, I, I lop off an arm and, and we're in trouble on that one, honey. Sorry, I tried. And I was just kind of like staring at it, my coffee, and like, I don't know what to do here. I was in dialogue just last Sunday, as a matter of fact, with, with uh, some of the deacons, because we had prayed and laid hands, and I was thanking them for what they do and how they show up in so many areas. And, and at some level, I said, man, I had this giant tree, and I'm kind of, and, and, and that's all it was. It was like a whisper. 
Like just in passing, like, yeah, you know, it's getting warm. We've got work to do. And, and, and what was so neat is that on, on Tuesday morning, um, eight guys, eight guys showed up. Five chainsaws, a wood splitter. And, and it was just an absolute delight. So I thought I'd, I'd get them lunch, and I took them lunch, and I got there. They are having, like, the best time in the world together. They're laughing they're busting on one another, working together, and it was an absolute delight, a blessing. Like, what do I do with this? We hear stories all over the place of how the body takes care of the needs within the body. Wendy and I were blessed to be on the receiving end of that. Now, we also know, though, that, wait a minute, it's a tree in your backyard. Really? Look at this, you'll note both in Acts and Romans that there's this word need. It's the word that is used. And if you're to expand upon that in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says what? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I, I began to almost be convicted like a tree in the backyard. That's not, what is a need? I usually define a need like this, okay? Number one, greatest need. You can only live three minutes without air. Like air is a basic need. They say what? Generally, and I know that there's always a weird story out there, but generally it's three minutes without air, three what? Three days without water, or three weeks without food. Like that's, that's how we begin to define need. Like if I don't have one of those, if you don't have some of that, then you know it's over. You're cooked. Thus the reason when the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, like teach us how to pray. How, how do we do this? Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And there's this phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11. So the Lord's, in a sense, saying, this is how the petition is to take place. It's pretty basic. Like, this bread for this day. A basic necessity that seems to be present in our instruction that we're giving on how we petition the Lord. And so it's not this, like, long shopping list. It's what is necessary for survival. It's not necessarily a list of wishes and wants. And, and, and I know that we certainly can go, and we should go to the Lord with anything that's heavy on our heart, with all of our burdens. But we have to hold on to the promise, really, of what is spoken here, what is truly a need, because that's the word that is used. I tend to go Old Testament. I think about the Israelites. Wandering in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 16, it says that what? Manna, bread from heaven, came down every single day. Need was given. Need was met. Exodus chapter 17, water from a rock. Or what? Or, or, or it expands outside of that. Deuteronomy chapter 29, it says, I have led you for 40 years in a wilderness, and your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. At some level, there's what? We've we got to have something on our feet in order to make the journey. 
And, and it kind of expands outside of, or what, another example, poor widow from the Lord, it was called to be an absolute blessing and encouragement to the prophet Elijah. Listen to the testimony in 1 Kings chapter 17. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry. And I love this phrase in verse 16. In keeping with the word of the Lord. Like, like you realize that you have this long, like, I, I don't know how we're going to address this problem. There's a need that exists. Can I speak to you this morning and encourage you? God knows your need. God knows your need. God, God sees your need and God promises to supply all your need. And remember, I, I believe that need can be more than physical. Where there are what? Relationship needs. There, there's emotional ministry that needs to take place. Spiritual support. There's companionship. There's this need to know that you matter. There's a need to know whether or not you're missed or not. Like that's how God has wired us. So hold on to that. As we have a promise and a reminder that God has called us to minister the lives of one another by supplying our needs. Jesus gave great counsel and comfort in Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious. We talked last week about anxiety abounds, particularly in the younger generation today. Do not be anxious about your life. And, and it's, it's easy to like, okay, don't be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. Like, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. Like, what happens with that? You have, to, you have to lean into this. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Look at the birds as we see them just, just returning as the weather warms all over the place. Look at the birds. Are you not of more value uh, then they, rhetorical question, of course you are. You're creating the image of God. God sent his own son to die so you could live. Of course you're of more value. You've been adopted as a daughter of the king, as a son of the most holy. Thus the reason what, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Therefore, do not be anxious. We're actually told that again. It's repeated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 6. And the last point to this point, we learn how to give by also being reminded how not to give. Let me read to you very quickly Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Jesus teaches us this is how we are to do it. Truly, I say to you that you have received the reward. They have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret 
will reward you. That's why I love testimonies of surprise. I don't know how. I don't know, I don't know how this happened. But can I just tell you, like, the need was met. And we have no clue. Someone gave great thought and effort. Not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Just to be a blessing. Not only do we open our hearts to generosity, but really where I want to focus for a few moments this morning is to the fact that we are to open our homes for hospitality so we can minister to the community around us. Remember I described, it's really rough out there. So what is the church's response? Let's just, let's just point fingers. Can you believe that the heathen believe, behave the way that they do? No, that's not what we do. Rather, we are to act, behave, live, and give in a way that actually sets us apart. Let, let, me, let me give you something you can go to the bank with. You can be assured of this. Others will always be drawn to authentic hospitality. Others will always be drawn to authentic, to genuine care and concern. Come on in hospitality other translations read practicing hospitality pursuing hospitality i like the wording of the old king james it says given to hospitality which means that we're not just kind of like leaning that way like yeah yeah we're kind of given no no we're all in we're given to this our general normal natural response is this welcome welcome come on in come on into my home we are given to it. And what's interesting here, because this is where the rub takes place. This word, philozenia, for hospitality, isn't about just opening your home to those that you want to have around your table. It's not speaking of that. Philozenia says it's a practical kindness that is paid especially to strangers. Or quite literally, this is how it translates, love to strangers. Barnhouse, Don Gray Barnhouse says this phrase shows that the true believer filled with the Holy Spirit must diligently and eagerly seek to show Christian love to strangers. Which means what? It's more than just your friends you want to hang with. Your own, your own posse. Your homies. What, what is the term? I don't know. Is that, like, isn't that an old term now? What, whatever, like, it's, it's our family. So we're opening our home all the time. But whoa, 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 time. Who are we opening our home to? That's really what we're talking about here. And you know the context that the Apostle Paul is writing. First century. He's writing to the church in Rome. He's a Jewish believer, and he is very accustomed to Middle Eastern hospitality. Now, if you've ever traveled to the Middle East, let me tell you this. They do hospitality well. It is, to this day, still a very important virtue of opening up your home. There are other cultures that actually do hospitality Really, really well. Central America, South America, African cultures. You know what, you know what the problem is? Is that as an American, in our, in American society where it's about the individualism and we build fences and we plant rows of hedges and we have garage doors that open up, we drive in and it closes. 
we don't do hospitality well compared to this. It actually talks about the fact that we're to give attention to the stranger. The ones that we described last week who are totally confused, even on their own identity. Like, I don't even know what I am. I don't know why I'm here. They're the ones. What? We are given to it. Just come on in. Just come in right here. The importance of hospitality goes back to the Jewish people. They were slaves in Egypt, if you recall, and they had no home. They're, they're literally homeless. And then they were liberated, and they were wandering for, what, decades in the wilderness. And they were, even in that point, they were longing for a home. So, so when God gave them a home, remember the promised land, he repeatedly reminded them, do not forget, do not forget from where you came from. And he strongly admonished them. Repeatedly show hospitality to the stranger in their gates. Open what your home and open your hearts to those around you. Exodus 22, Exodus chapter 23, Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Don't forget you were wandering and homeless and now you have a place to lay your head. What are you supposed to do with that? Can I give you an example of what it looks like this morning. You want to let something out of the bag here, okay? I love surprises. So look shocked when we announce what the book of the month is going to be. This is so much fun. And I quote, what does the conservative Bible-believing family who lives across the street do in a crisis of this magnitude? What are you talking about? Rosario Butterfield asked this in her new book. Here it is, the book of the month for April. It's coming. We just ordered them. The gospel comes with a house key, practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. An absolute must-read if we're going to have impact for the gospel in the community of Lock Haven and surrounding communities. Let me go back to the question. What does the conservative Bible-believing family who lives across the street, do it in crises of this magnitude, Butterfield asks in her new book, The Gospel Comes to Dalski. She, she has just described the day that her neighbor across the street, a man whom her and her family had painstakingly become friends with over years, was arrested for cooking meth in his house. She writes, we could barricade ourselves in the house, remind ourselves and our children that evil company perverts, and like the good Pharisees that we are always poised to become, thank God like, that we are not like those evil meth addicts, she says. Instead, she and her family became a hub where neighbors arrived to process what was happening. As neighbors filed into our front yard, which had become front row seats for unloading, un unfolding drama of epic magnitude, I scrambled eggs, and I put on a big pot of coffee, and I set out Bibles, and I invited them to come in. Who else but Bible-believing Christians can make redemptive sense of tragedy? Who can see hope in the promises of God when the real lived circumstances look dire. 
Who else knows that the sin that will undo me is my own, not my neighbor's, no matter how big my neighbor's sin may appear? Butterfield argues, listen to this, that an open door attitude and purposely hospitable lifestyle is the missing link between Christians and the watching world. She writes, the gospel's main point that Jesus will save me from my sins has no receptor point for the postmodern Rousseau-abiding thinker out lesbian feminist that I once was. What I needed and what I learned in the home of Ken and Floyd Smith was that I was an image bearer of a holy God and that such an identity came with responsibility as well as blessing. She gives her own testimony. Weekly meals at the Smith house followed by Bible study and psalm singing and meeting other Christians who did not fit the stereotype forced me to ask the question that would lead me to my undoing. Am I a lesbian? Is lesbian who I am inherently, ontologically, really? Or is lesbian how I feel, descriptively speaking? Christians have a theology and worldview for calling strangers to the table. And then sitting there long enough to be both earthly and spiritual good, Christians have a theology of difference and diversity. What trips up Christians is this. Too much time waging war with people and ideas on social media and too heavy a reliance on church programs to filter strangers, weeding out the creepy ones and bringing to your table the nice and safe ones. This this post-Christian world won't stand for it. And we shouldn't either. Get close enough to the stranger to put her hand into the hand of the Savior. You see, that's, that's what it begins to look like. It's easy for us to hear of the craziness, the chaos that's out there, to point fingers and throw rocks. That is not what the church is called to do, and we don't see it here in this text. Thankfully, praise God, what? He has been most generous and hospitable to us. God was generous by, what? Not sparing his own son, but he gave him up for us all. It says in Romans chapter 8. Who, who died for us so that we might live with him. Who suffered and died for our sins. God, God was not only generous to us, he is what? He is hospitable to us. Not only the fact that we can come and, and dine with him, you realize this, that we are being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come dine at the table of the king in Matthew chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And at this moment, he is also preparing a place. The most comforting of all chapters, Psalm 23, so we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So here's, here's, here, here, how, how, how are you right now? And this is, this is, you don't elbow the person next to you. How, how are you doing in meeting the needs of one another within the body? The needs. Not just the air and the water and the food, but the need to matter. How, how, how are you doing 
at opening up your own home. Oh, that, that safe place, that sanctuary where the garage door closes and we just lock ourselves in away from the craziness. How, how are you doing in offering a meal, in, in sitting with and listening to others, especially those who are in need of the gospel? In open door, may I remind you, in open door attitude and a purposefully hospitable lifestyle is the missing link between Christians and the watching world. So here we go. Here we go. I I checked recently. I think it's somewhere like 120 families. 120 families that regularly attend, contribute, support, connected to, show up every week at, at, at Big Woods. 125. That means what? That represented here, there's 120 front doors that to my understanding can swing open. To my understanding. That's how a door works, right? That means there's 120 dining room tables that you sit at with, with, with your family and you, you eat your meals. If each one of us were to take just one, just one, Family, one individual, one person whom you know is in need. You don't have to look long and hard for that at all. The death of a loved one. Sickness. A family struggle. Personal loss. Or maybe just significant life change. Where you, what, can come alongside, they've had a, a new baby. What a great opportunity. The celebration of a graduation. Or maybe they're moving into the empty nest. Whatever it is. Here's what we do. A, we invite others in and we learn to listen. You're not there just to give all the answers. We, we invite others in and you will hear all everything that is just absolutely crazy and you learn to listen why because it says in proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 if one gives an answer before he hears it it is folly and shame we're quick to give an answer we invite others in and learn to listen we commit to pray for them just last week we talked about the fact that we are to be constant in prayer prayer 